Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 13 and 14, with a message entitled, Hope for the Outcast. If you would open your Bibles, if you don't have one, there's a Bible in front of you. It'll be on page 248. We'll be in 2 Samuel, chapter 14. 2 Samuel, in chapter 14. And as people have done for thousands of years, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read uh, God's Word. 2 Samuel 14, and beginning in verse 14. 2 Samuel 14, 14. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life. And he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. He devises means. He, he weaves together. He moves things. He, he plots and plans and with all of his effort, ways that the banished one will not remain an outcast. I don't know uh, how your week was this last week or how you came here this morning, if there's something heavy on your heart. You might even feel like I'm an outcast here. Uh, or you might have a son or a daughter or a friend that has walked away and is uh, no longer even in the, in the picture. And I want to tell you this morning that we're going to see that uh, no matter how dark the night is, no matter how far away they've run, God is devising means. He's working. He's planning. He's opening doors. He's moving things so that the outcast will not remain an outcast, that the banished one will come home. Let's pray. Lord, we need hope this morning. We need hope from your word. We need encouragement and challenge. Lord, we need your life through your words to not return void this morning. So, so as we consider them over the next uh, few minutes, Lord, would you open our eyes so we could see, we'd open our ears, we'd hear powerful things from you. You'd challenge us and soften our hearts so that we'd really understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go to have a seat. Before we dive in, I want to tell you a story about uh, a young man uh, that happened 10 years ago in my life. 10 years ago, right about this season, we were moving into our house on 30th Street. Uh, we were settling in as a family. We still live there uh, to this day. We were welcoming our youngest daughter, Hannah, into the world, who's 10 now. Uh, but at that same time, God was working and weaving this plan uh, for this young man named Harry Latour. Uh, Harry lived in Rockwood area. Uh, his mom was a drug addict, and on his fourth uh, Christmas, uh, he announced, she announced to the family, I'm choosing drugs over you. Uh, Dad was in and out of jail, so the family, with him and his siblings, were left uh, at a cousin's house who put them in the basement and just got the funds for uh, having them and just let them raise uh, themselves. Uh, really dark time in Harry's life. Uh, he ended up running gangs. Uh, he pimped prostitutes. He got involved with... Uh, drugs and alcohol. Uh, he was 
um, in and out of jail a lot. By the time he was 20, he had eight kids. Uh, so you can, you can imagine, I was like, how does that work? How young do you, oh, never mind. Uh, this, this guy was, was far, far away. Well, one night he had his girlfriend with him and he had been drinking too much. And he started driving and his car overheated. So he had to pull to the side of the road uh, where he waited for his car to cool down. Got back in the car, drove off again. Uh, the car overheated once again, so we had to drive to the side of the road and wait again. Three times this happened uh, where his car was overheating. On the fourth time, he finally gets in the car, starts driving off, and right behind him, uh, police lights pull him over. And at that moment, uh, Harry knew something was happening because for three times he said, I think God was trying to get my attention, but I wasn't listening. Uh, so when, the, when he saw those police lights, he had warrants for his arrest. He was driving drunk. And his girlfriend at the time said, let's switch spots uh, because you're going to go to jail and I don't have anything on my record. Uh, and, and Harry said, no, nope, I need to stay right here. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, I, I think this is God's lesson for me. Odd. Policeman comes up and goes, do you know why I pulled you over? And Harry said, who had a warrant and was drunk, uh, yeah, I do, because this is God's lesson for me. Um, he gets taken to jail. Uh, a bunch of miracle after miracles happen in jail that uh, I've written a whole bunch of this stuff down. Uh, he ends up in jail next to a Christian uh, who um, had done some bad things, and that's why he was in jail, but he was a, a strong believer. And so we asked Harry, hey, why are, you in, why are you in jail? And Harry said, I'm here to learn God's lesson for me. And, and that man asked him, well, do you know the Lord? And Harry says, no, I've, no one's ever taught me. Uh, the closest thing was the Alpenrose milk guy who gave him a Bible one Christmas, a picture Bible that he thumbed through, but no one else had ever told him about Jesus. So for the next several months, this man uh, in a prison cell next to him uh, had him memorize whole chunks of scripture. They prayed together every day. They talked through issues. And so for several months, he was in jail being uh, discipled. One of the things this man told him was, when you get out, you need to be part of a church and you need to be baptized. Uh, and so he got out of, out of jail and ends up calling the church I was at and saying, I need to be, I need to be baptized. Uh, he comes to church that next Sunday first time he had ever been in a worship service at all, uh, gave his testimony with three rows of family and friends there to witness it. And then after uh, the service, he was, he was baptized. Um, I got the privilege along with the other pastor, Barry, to, to baptize this young man. And we walked alongside him uh, for almost two years. And he ended up working for Mike Miller uh, at his seal source job. We had Bible studies every week uh, together. It was a very um, unique, special time. And I look at that, and I look at Harry's life and go, you're not too far gone. There's hope. As long as you have life, as, as long as they are living and there's, there's breath in their lungs, there is hope because God is devising means that the outcast and the banished will no longer be there. He's devising a way for them to come home. So it doesn't matter where your son or your daughter is this morning, there is hope as long as they're alive. It actually doesn't matter how far away you have walked, that God is not, uh, he's not given up on you. He's actually weaving together this story that would bring you home and give you this opportunity for reconciliation and redemption. And you might be here this morning thinking, yeah, that's great for Harry. I've seen stories like that on the news, but not me. 
I mean, if, if you really knew where my life was at, if you really knew the decisions that I made or how far they have walked away from the Lord, you know there's really no hope. But I want you to lean in this morning. Because as we come back to our text, we're going to see that no matter how dark the night is, no matter how far someone has run, God is at work as long as it is today to, to craft this story and weave this, this plan where he's moving people in places so that the banished, the outcast, will have the opportunity to come back home again. Well, we come back to our text. Uh, we've been working through First and Second Samuel. Uh, we're speeding up now, and so that's kind of the unfortunate thing, but I'm really excited about where we're headed in the new year, uh, and so we, we need to be taking bigger chunks of Second Samuel. Uh, so today we're in Second Samuel 13 and 14, uh, but just for sheer time and also because it's, it's really a rough chapter, I'm just going to summarize Second Samuel 13. Uh, I, I don't even want to really read it with kids in the building because this chapter is, is ugly. D David's life is just tragic at this moment. Uh, we've been following David as he was a young shepherd boy up to the king and now he has this kingdom and we've seen he's been collecting these wives like trophies. They've been having lots of kids and David's life and his family and his kingdom at this moment is just tragic. It's just in chaos. Uh, lots, of, lots of wives, so lots of kids. Well, in 2 Samuel 13, one of David's sons named Amnon uh, he, he has this like burning desire for his half-sister. Uh, so they're sisters, but from a different, different mother. Uh, and he, he wants anything he can to get with her. And you read the story, it's really sickening. Uh, he ends up uh, violating her, uh, scheming and plotting away so he can violate her. Uh, so, so you have this going on in the family. And David the king, the father, he actually does absolutely nothing. Super angry. He's mad. And does nothing. Uh, and so uh, this young lady, uh, Tamar, his, uh, his or her brother, by the same mother, ends up taking her into his house. And so she's really living like an exile in her own home, taken care of by uh, her brother, um, whose name is Absalom. So Absalom and Amnon are brothers by different mothers. Absalom is a uh, brother with Tamar, who's been violated. Well, two years goes by, and David does nothing. He, like, sweeps it under the rug. And can you imagine? So like, like a mold growing on a sandwich you've left out, that's what it looks like at David's house. I mean, it's just disgusting, uh, just the, the filth that's gone on there. So finally, Absalom, who's seen and witnessed the pain of his sister Tamar uh, for two years, finally says, this, I've had enough. And so he takes matter into his own hands. He gets his brother drunk. Uh, takes, him, takes him away, gets him drunk, and ends up having him killed. Uh, justice, but not the right, not the right kind of justice. Uh, David hears about the story, hears that one of his sons has been killed, and, and David just falls on the ground crying. And it's almost like you get the sense of like, it's almost like a baby. It says he's just laying on the ground weeping and crying, and he's the king, and he does nothing. Well, Absalom hears about it, and he's like, boy, I can't go home. So he flees for his life. So he goes to a foreign, uh, foreign land to try and seek um, protection from a different kind of uh, king. So there's David. This is David's house and his family. Because he's done nothing, there, there has been violations amongst the siblings. There's been murder and death, and now they've fleed. And, and, and it is dark. Rape, murder, dysfunction. I mean, this is a huge dysfunctional family. You think your family's dysfunctional? And it probably is. But it's not as, well, all of our families are dysfunctional. But can you, like, 
just put some steroids on it and let him get a Red Bull, and this is David's family. And, and it's like, it is not much different than Harry and his life. But just like Harry, we're going to see that God is still at work when it seems like everything's broken and there's no hope. God is moving. He's devising means to bring the outcast home. And so we're going to read about in 2 Samuel 14, there's, this, uh, there's a commander of David's army who sees the dysfunction and goes, man, we've got to do something. There's hope here. Let's move. Let's try something. Let's risk something. So he asked this unnamed woman from uh, Tekoa to come. And, and this woman, who uh, only description of her is that she's a wise woman. This unnamed wise woman steps into the picture, and, and we're, we're getting these like words of gold, who acts on behalf of, of Joab to tell David this story that basically uh, allows David to respond to the story, and David's response to the story convicts himself. And we've seen something like this in, in the prophet Nathan as well, and it's very similar uh, cadence today. So you're going to see this unnamed wise woman, Joab, uh, confront David with his sin and lead him to the place where he can finally see. Um, so let's read in 2 Samuel 14, beginning in verse 1. Now Joab, the son of Zeruah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. Remember, he had been uh, away for three years now. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, pretend to be a mourner. And put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now when the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What's your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow. My husband is dead, and my servant had two sons. And they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant. And they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal. There would be no spark left that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. She said, Answer however you want to. However you see fit, answer this. You'll have no guilt. It'll just be on me. Just answer from your heart. Verse 10, the king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son be not destroyed. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your sons shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not 
take away life. And he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. There's a lot going on there. So I'm going to slow down and, and kind of uh, walk us through it, see what's happening here. See, see, Joab, the commander of the army, sees the dysfunction of this family and goes, there is hope. We have to do something uh, and so he grabs this woman from Tekoa and, and asks her, hey, would you come? This woman is never named. Did you notice that? It's just the wise woman from Tekoa. She really personifies the book of Proverbs. Uh, in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. And, and, and this woman who comes, her words are like gold. Now, wisdom in Hebrew, is, is the word is chokmah. And it means a skill in living a life, an understanding of how to live this life in God's control under his rule and reign. Uh, this wise woman comes in, and, but she's given this story that's actually not her own. It says, hey, are you a good actress? Okay, great, we can use this. And so she acts this, thing, this story out and then tells the story that's not her own. And the story goes like this. There were two brothers in a field. One of them uh, strikes the other one and kills him, and he dies. And then the whole clan comes up and goes, hey, we're going to kill that brother for killing his brother, right? Uh, does that story sound familiar? Uh, if you knew, you knew your Hebrew Bible, like the people that they were first hearing this, or, or David, uh, it would strike a chord with you. Two brothers in a field, one of them strikes another one, and he dies. If you're reading the Hebrew Bible and you come to page 3 and you wanted to summarize page 3 of the Bible, the first two brothers, Cain and Abel, you could summarize it like this. There were two brothers in a field. One of them strikes the other and kills him and he dies. And then there's this fear in that brother that everyone's going to kill me. And that's when God steps in the story. Because he brings justice and says, because you've done this, you have to leave your land. You're banished, you're in exile. But... But I'm going to make a way to protect you. I'm going to put a mark on you so that people will, will not kill you. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll give you this opportunity uh, in the future for this reconciliation and redemption. See, God was devising means to bring the banished one home again. Uh, so you see this story. So this made-up story that this woman is telling him is really a reflection of uh, not only David's sons, but also of Cain and Abel. So what's the king going to do? He knows the Hebrew Bible. How is he going to respond? And he responds like he should. He says, look, I will protect him. I will, uh, I will make a way so that the brokenness of humanity, that wants revenge and the bloodshed over and over, I will make a way for that to end. I will offer my protection over him. Go home. Be safe. There'll be another day that he can live, another opportunity for reconciliation, for hope, for redemption. And David's very words convict him once again. Did you see that? He said, can I talk to you? Can I, can I say a word to the king? He's like, speak. Don't you get it? Don't, don't you see You've been caught in your own words. You would do this for a son you don't even know. From, from a stranger's son, you would do this, and yet your own house you wouldn't. You need to do something. David's caught in this like appearance of righteousness, uh, appearance of grace and mercy, 
and yet for his own family, he's offering none of it. Now stay with me, because this lady wisdom at the very end, she gives some powerful advice to David, but also to you and to me. Let's read it again in verse 14. She says this, at the end of all of this, we must all die, David. We're all like water spilled to the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. She says this, hey, death's coming to us all. The mortality rate of humanity is 100%. We have, we're all going to die. Uh, the decisions that you make in this life, the words that spill out from your mouth, the actions you take, the people you care for, the people you hurt, uh, all those things eventually are going to come to an end and judgment is going to come and it's over. It's done. We all must die. Let's check this out. She doesn't do, just give us like some theology. She gives us an illustration. She's a good pastor too, right? She's like, we're like water that's being poured out on the ground. And as that water is being poured out, once it's out, it's done. You can't get it up again. If you have a cup and you go out into the grass here and you start pouring that cup out, once it's out, it's over. You can't go down and pick up the water and try and put it back, put it back in. Uh, someone used the example of uh, we're trying to put a toothpaste back into the tooth, whatever, the tooth, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Toothpaste back into the tube of toothpaste. See, I should just stick with what the woman was saying. She's a wise woman. You're pouring it out, and as you're pouring it, it's, it's representative of your life, your words, your actions, your deeds, how you spend your time, your focus. And if you're just pouring it out, you cannot get it back. Your words you can't get back, your actions you can't get back. Uh, you, you can't get back uh, Saturday, yesterday, uh, today. It's gone. It's done. No matter how many times you watch Groundhog's Day, and you're like, oh, well, hopefully that would happen to me, that I could just live over and over the same day. It does not happen. And eventually, as you're pouring out your life, that water, there's going to be one last drop, and it's going to be done, and that's over. So she says, in light of this, as long as you're pouring that water out, as long as there is life, there is a chance, there is hope. It's appointed once for men to die and then judgment, but we're also given life every day. So how then should we live? That's the question uh, the, the wise woman of Tekoa wants us to, to contemplate on. How should we live? And I think she would say, don't waste your life. Don't hold on to grudges. Don't be apathetic. Every day you're being poured out. But as long as you're being poured out, God can move and change and shape, and he's devising ways so that the, the banished one will have the opportunity to come home. That the outcast could be reconciled once again. He, he did it for David, didn't he? I mean, David was a murderer and an adulterer, just like his sons. And we saw last week that he devises this means so that David can be forgiven and there can be reconciliation. You think that hope's gone. He's messed up too much. And yet God is patiently working on David's behalf so that the banished one could come home. He makes a way for Absalom to be brought near again. He's, he's brought back to Jerusalem. He makes a way for the outcast to be welcomed home. And you know what? He does it for you and me and your kids and your friends. As long as there is life, there is hope. 
Uh, you might wonder what happened to Harry. Um, it's his story still going. Uh, we walked alongside Harry and his girlfriend at the time, who had six kids living in an apartment in, in Rockwood. Uh, cockroach infested, it was just nasty. Uh, he realized God's intentionality for sexuality and faithfulness. And so we end up, we walk him through and end up marrying his girlfriend, who was taking care of uh, five kids that weren't even uh, her own. Uh, got a job. We were walking along beside him. But after two years, the stress and the pressure and the habits from before uh, just mounted up, and Harry ended up uh, just going off. Uh, he ended up in uh, gangs again. He ended up hitting and slapping his uh, wife. It just got, the stress was just too much. And so then they ended up uh, leaving, and the last thing I heard is they were in Arizona, where an undercover or off-duty cop was behind them in the car and saw uh, Harry end up slapping on Leanna and then pulled them over and arrested him. Uh, they broke up from that moment, and we didn't know what happened to them. That was 2013. Um, but as long as there's day... There's hope for Harry because God's not like, up. Oh, he's too far gone. God's moving and devising and weaving this tapestry to give Harry the opportunity to come back home. Uh, this last summer, uh, Harry wrote me on Facebook. He said this, after the men's retreat in 2013, uh, I was left with many questions that needed to be answered within. These answers could only come from God, and so he showed me the answers in a way that I would understand. I was sure about the gift I had of joy and peace and happiness and the pure faith I had in God, but I was unsure of how to relate to many of those who had been believers for many years and had never experienced those feelings I once had. So after my father passed, I was betrayed by Leanna, and my brother called me facing 25 years to life in prison. I had a choice to make. And the whole time, I was sure I made the wrong choice until a few years back. You see, the choice that I made was uh, down a path like it had been in my past life. That was away from God. A path so dark, I wondered how God could ever forgive me after he already saved me. And I turned my back on him. Yet he did again. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yet he did again. His grace this time seemed even sweeter than the first. It was noticed even more because of what I had experienced and what I went through. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Well, let me offer you two things that we can take away from this story that we can kind of carry with us as we go through this week. Uh, the first one's this. If you're taking notes, write, write this one down. Don't give up hope on a wayward son or daughter. Don't, don't give up hope. As long as they are alive, the story is not over with yet, and we know what our God's intention is. It's to move and, and place things just the right way so that there's an opportunity for that banished one to come back home. It's, the story's not over until that last drop is done. So don't give up hope. Be praying for them. Continue to pray for them. Seek them out. Open hands. Look how God is moving and working. There is hope as long as there is today. Second one is this. God is weaving a plan for you to come home as well. God has made a way so that no matter what you've done or how far away you've gone, it's only one step back 
And God says, through the death and resurrection of my son, I've made a way for anyone to come back and have reconciliation and redemption. He's made a way. So, so no matter where you're sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, but Joel, you don't know my past. You don't know, I don't even know anything. I don't even know enough to know how bad off I am, and yet you're saying to me there's opportunity and hope, and I'm saying yes. I think one of them is evidence that you are here today. I don't know how you got here, and you probably don't know how you got here either. That's because God is at work devising means so the banished will not remain an outcast. He's doing that for you and for me. But we all live in the middle of the story. And we all want to, to end it where Harry wrote me this last summer. Like, it's even sweeter than the, the first time. He, he developed a construction crew uh, up in Lake Moses, Washington. Uh, we had contact a little bit back and forth. Um, he was taking care of his, his kids. Uh, so I reached out to him on Monday to try and find him to go, hey, I'm going to tell your story to our church uh, to give hope that as long as it's today, there's this hope for the outcasts and the banished. Well, I opened my Facebook page. There was a message in his uh, Facebook page had been deleted. Uh, then I looked through everything. Like, I work with the cops, so I know a few little tricks. So I'm looking for him everywhere, looking for arrest records and everything. Well, come to find out, he had taken $15,000 on October 13th, just a couple weeks ago, uh, $15,000 from his construction thing and just skipped out. Uh, took one of his kids and it's gone. And I thought, that's the ending we need. Because Harry, it's not all buttoned down, because I'm guessing each one of you goes, oh, that's great, and Harry's now great, and his family's great, and everything's great. That's not where I live. But I'm here to tell you, that's not where Harry lives either. But I know, no one can get a hold of Harry right now, but I know as long as there is today, God is going to continually weave paths, put people in the right place to give opportunity for people to come to him and be reconciled and redeemed. That's hope, church. I know it, it's a long journey, but don't stop praying. 20, 30 years, don't stop praying because God's not done with any of them yet. Let's pray, and then we'll invite the worship team to come back up. Lord, I want to pray for Harry first. Lord, you have been weaving this storyline for him over and over and over again. And Lord, I, I think at some point we feel like, okay, it's hopeless. It, his past, his habits, he's never, he's never going to really come. And yet you continually are moving and working and calling people to yourself so that the banished one won't remain an outcast. So, Lord, would you give us hope today with, with people who have a wayward son or daughter or spouse or friend? Would you give them just that little bit more encouragement to hang on to hope? And in that hope, be like Joab, to go, it's worth the risk. Because it's not just us. We're joining you as you're devising these means to reach people, to reach people with the gospel, to reach people with forgiveness and hope and redemption. And Lord, if there's someone here today who feels like an outcast, Lord, I pray that they would just take, make that one move back to you and they would give their lives to you and go, Lord, I want to journey together with you.
I'm a sinner. I've messed up. But because of the death of your son and the resurrection, I have a new life. And Lord, um, if somebody needs that, is an outcast and wants to pray, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave here today without praying with somebody. They're making that one step back home, knowing that you have open hands and are welcoming us, each one of us. And Lord, thanks for your grace in each one of our lives to bring us even to this point. And would we reflect that in our praise and worship to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.